But we'll begin this session where we left off the last one. And we'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and read just the first three verses. It reads like this. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have a desire for the word. We as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have a desire, ought to have a desire for a closer and more experiential walk with the Lord who has saved us. And we have learned the value of the word of God. We have learned the value of a daily walk with the Lord. We have learned and have experienced its benefit and its worth. And we recognize that when we do not spend time with the Lord, when we do not spend time and allow the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and reveal the Son to us, to reveal the Father to us so that we can grow and mature in our faith, we recognize that there's a lack in our lives. A babe needs the milk. A babe to grow, to be sustained, needs the milk. And so do we, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need the milk of the word. We need to have a walk and experience with the living Christ in our lives. Now, when he uses the word milk here, oftentimes in the, in the New Testament, when he speaks of milk, he's speaking of something that is, that is lacking. He's speaking of how the milk is the simple stuff and you should be on to meat by now. But that's not really what he's referring to here. He's here referring to the benefit of milk for that young child, for that infant, for that babe. And we, as newborn babes, as those who have been born again, should be desiring the, the milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Now, both scholars would agree that this statement comes from Psalm 34 and verse 8. So we're going to turn there and examine the psalm to see if we can get a sense as to why Peter chose this particular verse. Or does he just take it out of context? And I think we have a higher appreciation for inspiration than that. So we recognize that Peter had some sense of the context of the psalm from which he draws this one verse and says it, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, as he says in verse three. So let us turn to Psalm 34 now. Psalm 34. Now the introduction, which is inspired as well, tells us the condition under which the psalm was written. Translated into English, it says, a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. So that story to which this psalm is alluding and from which Peter quotes is found in, in, first, Pete, in first Samuel chapter 21. So we must explore briefly 
1 Samuel chapter 21, so that we can see the context of the context of the context. Peter is the context that we are working with. He uses Psalm 34, which is the context from which he draws his verse. The writer David of Psalm 34 drew his context from an experience that he had that is recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now, we will remember if we turn to Psalm, I mean, back to um, 1 Samuel 21, we'll remember that Saul was uh, persecuting David and that things were getting bad. And David's good friend, Jonathan, Saul's son, had warned David and David fled from the presence of Saul. But Saul pursued him. And after this encounter with Ahimelech, the priest, where he acquired bread from him um, to sustain him, and, and he also got the sword of Goliath, Saul would later slay the priest for that act. But here he, he got the sword of Goliath by deception, and he deceived the high priest, or deceived the priest, and he acquired the bread as well. And then David fled to Gath to hide out. But the king was reminded of who David was. This is the one, told his servants, this is the one whom they had spoken about, that Saul has slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. Now, the superscription calls the king, this is the superscription now back in Psalm 34, calls the king Abimelech. Not to be confused with Ahimelech, the priest. Abimelech means the father of the king. So maybe it is a title like Pharaoh is for the kings. It was, it was a common way of phraseology common to the Philistine kings. And, and Ashish may have been the name of that reigning Abimelech. So knowing that the king now knew who he was, he was afraid and began to act like a madman. He changed his behavior. He scratched on the doors of the gate, let his saliva fall down on his beard. And he did so to save his life from the ruler of the city of Goliath, of Gath. And is indeed questionable behavior for this man after God's own heart. He had in his possession the sword of Goliath, who was their champion, whom he had slain with the sling. So when the king heard who he was, the king would have had the tendency to put him in prison, to slay him, to get him out of the way. So he feigned this madness. So when the king thought him a madman, he was able to escape the king and whatever designs the king may have had for him. And then he gathered to him about 400 men and Saul continued to pursue them. David realized through that event, he realized through what he, even his deceptions of both Ahimelech and the king Abimelech of uh, Gath, he realized the goodness of God, notwithstanding his own failures and his own mistakes, he saw that God was good to him. Now, remembering this time, David wrote. And so we can go back now to Psalm 
34. This was in David's mind when he wrote. Now, if we did not have this prelude, if we did not have this preamble or superscription, whatever you want to call it, you would not know from the verses of the psalm itself, you would not likely be to be able to understand the situation that David was speaking of. And he wanted you to know. He wanted you to know something about it. Therefore, he gives you this superscription. He wanted you to know the reason that formed the foundation for this song. And in this song, he says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, that's very interesting because if you read the account, there's no accounting of him seeking after the Lord there. There was an account of his fear. There was an account of his deception. But yet during that time, unbeknownst to us in 1 Samuel 21, he was crying out to the Lord. He was seeking the Lord and the Lord heard him and the Lord delivered him even through his own failures, even through his own mistakes, the Lord delivered him. David was full of fears. He was full of concerns and worries. He was no longer in a place of security. He had left his home. He had left his life. He was on the run. And the Lord brought him in that state a deliverance. And then he says in this psalm, <clears throat> if you read down further in verse 6, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Oh, taste, he says. And see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, taste and see that Yahweh, Jehovah, is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Now, if you read this psalm in its entirety, you would get a sense of how David is feeling, how David is rejoicing at, at what God did for him in that early stage of his fleeing from Saul. He, he begins by saying he will bless the Lord at all times because of what he did. He makes his boast in the Lord because of what he did. He magnifies the Lord because of what he did. He tasted of the reality of God's work in his life. And he saw that God was good. The very experiential reality of God's goodness was so tangible to him, so tangible to David, that he uses that word taste and see. He describes it as uh, detectable to the sense of taste, to the sense of sight. Now, when Peter uses this quote from the psalm, he changes the mood of the verb. Now, that's an important thing for us to notice. It's an important thing for us to notice. Now that we have a little bit of the context, let's turn back now to the first Peter. Peter says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, we notice a couple of changes there, and we'll get to both of them. But Peter, when he quotes this psalm, he changes the mood of the verb from an imperative where David in his psalm wrote, taste the Lord. It's an imperative. Do this to an indicative, which is a statement of a fact. So it's an aorist indicative, which is 
in the Septuagint version from which he quotes. So it is translated, you have tasted, instead of taste and see. You have tasted. He takes what was then a command to do this to the reality and the experience of the believers to whom he was writing who have tasted it. You have tasted and you have found that the Lord is gracious. Now reading it today, we see the logic. Since you have already tasted that the Lord is good, crave more of him. Desire more of him. You've already experienced his deliverance in your life. You've already seen him working in your life. Crave more of him. Peter says, in essence, to the people, you have been through a lot. You have faced persecution. You have faced the hatred of people. You are those who have been have become temporary residents in Pontus, in Galatia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia, and so on. You are struggling in the midst of persecution. Do not be afraid. You have experienced his goodness. You have tasted his protection and deliverance. He is good. Now, let's pause for a minute. And this is probably where we're going to have to end this session before it runs on too long. Let's spend a couple of minutes exploring the word translated gracious in the New King James Version from which I read. Now, maybe in your translation, it is different. It is generally translated by three English words, good, kindness, or gracious. That's generally the words that are used to translate this word. It is the word kretas, and it is an adjective. It is a description of something that is fit for use. It is the description of something that's useful, something that's virtuous, something that's good, or it describes something that is that is manageable, something that is mild or pleasant, as opposed to that which is harsh or sharp or bitter. And it describes things that are pleasant, people that are kind and benevolent. So translators make a choice as to which word in the English best describes this Greek word. It is the same word that is used by our Lord when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy is an adjective describing the yoke. The yoke is easy. It is pleasant. It is kind, if you will, benevolent, if you will. He again uses it in Luke chapter 6, where he says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Even to the evil, even to the unthankful, he is kind. He is good. Here it is described as the Most High. The Most High. He is described as kind, that most high, all-powerful being. The all-powerful God is good. He is kind. Now, Paul uses that word three times. Once he uses it in Romans, once in 1 Corinthians, and once in Ephesians. In Romans chapter 2, he says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And then in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. 
And then in Ephesians 4, he says, be kind to one another, be good to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. You have experienced the effects of the milk in your life. You have experienced the effects of the Lord in your life. And the response of your heart ought to be, he is good. He is so very kind. He is full of goodness. He is full of grace. Now, it's also interesting to note, and we'll end with this, even though I said we'd end with the last thing, but we'll end with this. It's interesting to notice that Peter, like others in the New Testament, and Luke does this significantly in his birth narrative, he does not hesitate to use the expression, the Lord, as we saw in, in Psalms, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is the um, indication of Yahweh, the name of God, Yahweh. He does not hesitate to use that when he translates to refer to Jesus Christ. This is clear from the verses that we read. Even when the Old Testament expression is the Hebrew Yahweh, the Greek Kyrios, and he uses it in, to replace Yahweh, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself that he's speaking of. And so Peter, knowing the struggles and the hardships that David had gone through, knowing that he had even behaved in ways that were unbecoming a believer, even though he had acted in ways deceiving the priest, just maybe for his own protection, I don't know, but deceiving Abimelech, deceiving the people of Gath, fearing for his own life, he saw that the Lord remained good and the Lord remained faithful. And in his quiet and secret times when he called out to him, the Lord heard him. And you, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, have experienced the same. You have tasted it. You have tasted that the Lord is kind. You have tasted that the Lord is good. And may the Lord add his blessing to this little study. And may he use it for his glory.